What's up, everyone, and welcome to MCS Podcast number 282. This is Buck Green sitting in for Jeff Anderson. This week, we're going to talk about knife design fails. When I pick up a knife and I look at it and I think, why would they do this? What were they thinking? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. These are things that, obviously, you would want to avoid when you buy a knife for utility or self-defense. All that and more is coming up, but uh, first, you can download a one-page handy-dandy cheat sheet of notes for this week's podcast at www.mcsmagazine.com. Slash 282. That's mcsmagazine.com slash 282. It's all there, it's all free, and it's very convenient. All right, everyone ready? Let's talk knife design fails. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. All right, welcome back. This is Buck Green sitting in for Jeff Anderson. I was in uh, one of those discount stores the other day, the type of place that sells lots of merchandise that they've bought up as, you know, stuff that's out of stock or being closed out, that kind of thing. And they had some books there. uh, You know, they usually have tables full of books. One of those was a book full of knives, and I'm a huge fan of knives. As you can tell, I often do knife-related podcasts when I sit in for Jeff, and Uh, This one was one of those retrospectives that tries to be comprehensive, tries to cover all the current companies that are available, tries to tell you, you know, the, the least you need to know about the entire knife industry. As I was going through, I found myself getting angry. And I asked myself, like, why are you getting mad? What is it? And it occurred to me that there were lots of knife designs that just look like trying to be different for the sake of being different, things that make no sense. And I thought, why don't I compile a list of all the things that are bothering me? And that would make a good podcast. Well, here we are. Uh, And so I want to go through each of the five things. Now, you may be able to identify other things. There may be other things that are sort of your, your pet peeves when it comes to knives, but these are mine. I'm a firm believer in knives. I'm a huge advocate of knives for self-defense. Obviously, firearms are preferable and more powerful, but the second choice for everyone when it comes to self-defense should be a good knife. Uh, We could do an entire podcast on why that is, but for the sake of this podcast, let's just say that I believe that, and I would imagine a number of you believe that as well. So what is the first of five knife design fails? I'm going to go with handles with hot spots. What is a hot spot? When you hold a knife in your hand and you feel parts of it rub against your palm as you're using the knife, those would be the places where blisters or calluses would develop. Blisters are what happens first. Do it enough, you develop calluses in those spots. That's your body fighting back against that contact. Uh, you know, a guy who's used the same hand tool for years will have calluses on his hand that correspond to the hot spots on that tool's handle. Uh, with knives, there really is no reason for the knife to be shaped in such a way that it develops those hot spots. Where you'll really see this is in a machete. The reason it's more obvious in a machete is because it's so much bigger and so much heavier that the the leverage applied to your hand through the handle is more. So if I'm swinging a machete for an hour, I'm going to notice those hot spots a heck of a lot more than if I'm using, let's say, a butcher knife for an hour. But I'll still notice them. Uh, I had a I had a machete. I want to say it was made by a German company. I don't remember the name of it now, but it, it looked cool. It was a relatively short machete. I thought, oh, that looks cool. I like the sheath. I'm going to buy that. 
And what I found was it was incredibly uncomfortable to use because the handle was rubbing against my hand in, in, in just painful ways. Um, I owned a Book of Eli replica machete at one point because I saw the movie and I thought it was cool. Come on, we've all done this. And I went out and I bought a replica Book of Eli machete. Well, it looked the part, but if you were to ever swing this thing around, the handle was really painful. It just dug into you in all the wrong ways. Part of that was the machete was not well balanced, but part of it was that the handle was poorly designed. Um, looking through this knife book, I saw all kinds of knives with handles where they they jut out here and there. They're, they're, they have weird, hard angles in them. When it comes to a knife handle, you want it to be curved in a way that is comfortable. You want it to be ergonomic. It should sit in your palm and it should feel good. Uh, you know, if it's got all kinds of weird zigzaggy directional turns in the handle, you know, hard angles, square shapes, things that are designed to make the knife look cool, but that serve no actual function, then that is a bad handle design. And it's going to cause you nothing but trouble. I remember I took a carbine class once where most of the guys had AR-15s. And one of the few modifications that these guys running the class actually recommended was something called a tango down grip for the AR-15. I don't know how familiar you are with AR-15 grips, but a lot of them have this little protrusion that sticks out uh, right below the trigger guard. Like there's room enough for one finger, and then there's a little protrusion, and then there's the rest of your fingers. And you might think, well, that's good. That kind of indexes your hand on the handle, right? Well, the thing about the Tango Down grip was, and I don't even know if they still make this thing. I don't currently own an AR-15, so I wouldn't know. But that grip is really smooth. It's very comfortable. It is designed to provide good traction, but nothing to rub up against your hand. So theoretically, you could use this thing all day long and it wouldn't be beating up your palm. Uh, and I thought about that in regard to some of these knife handles that have protrusions that are every bit like that little jutting piece on some of the AR-15 grips. It doesn't need to be there. So a knife design that has a handle like that in my opinion, is a bad design and you don't want it. So when you're choosing a knife for utility, especially for self-defense, you really need to make sure that it is comfortable in the hand, not just when you first pick it up, but also when you use it for any length of time. Now, I realize that we've said in other podcasts, you shouldn't be using your self-defense knife for day-to-day -day utility because you're going to dull it and then it's not going to be sharp when you need it to be. There's a lot of us that break that rule, though. I know I break it all the time, even though I'm not supposed to. I try to keep my knives really nice and sharp, so I sharpen them a lot. It's just something you have to compensate for. But remember, uh, any knife that you want to use for any task should be comfortable in your hand. Why would you buy something that isn't? Because it looked cool? I look at some of these designs, and I cannot fathom what the makers were thinking when they designed the handles. All right. Uh, on to the second item. This one is near and dear to my heart, and that is bad sheaths. A, a good knife, a knife that you like the design of, has good features. If it is a knife that needs a sheath, you know, uh, therefore not a pocket knife, any fixed blade, and actually some pocket knives really are better off with sheaths, like to put them on your belt or whatever. But if it has a bad sheath, no matter how good the knife is, you're not going to carry it. The worst example I can think of, there are some knives I've seen that just had like a like a nylon blade cover. It was completely useless for actually sheathing the knife. There was no plastic insert. The knife would have come right through that nylon under any pressure. You drop it, you fall on it, the knife blade is coming right through. Uh, it's really not even a sheath, in my opinion, when it's that weak. So some, especially inexpensive knives that you buy, like say you're you're surfing the cheap section of the cutlery cabinet when you're in your local knife store, if you're lucky enough to still have one, or 
you're looking at the stuff that is sort of just you know garbaged out in China left and right that which is not to say that Chinese manufacturing is bad almost everything is made in China what I'm saying is there's a tier of cutlery that comes from China that is just kind of you know just every day here's more knives and uh, there sometimes those knives are actually decent especially some of the fixed blades there was a a Japanese style fixed blade that I bought at one point that I really liked the look of but the sheath was terrible it was one of those nylon blade covers um, so. If you are one of those people who makes sheaths out of leather or out of kydex, and I started making kydex sheaths myself specifically because I wanted to have the ability to take a good knife with a bad sheath and turn it into a good carry package, you have that option. There are plenty of people you can send your knife to to have a sheath made for it, but uh, a lot of people don't do that. And if you bought a knife for $5, you're not going to want to pay $25 to put a new sheath on it at minimum, and, and you'd have to shop around to find a price that cheap. So... When you're buying a knife, you need to pay attention to the sheath if the knife is going to require you to carry it that way. If it is a terrible sheath for quality reasons, that's a no-go. It's going to hurt you. You're in danger carrying that knife. Sometimes, though, the sheath is just not good, even though it works fine, because it it's badly designed. Uh, there are a few knives out there that try to be all things to all people. They're multi-carry sheaths. And there's nothing wrong with a multi-carry sheath. But the problem is you really have to pay close attention to the design of anything that is intended to do more than one thing. Because what usually happens is it does lots of things in a mediocre fashion rather than doing one thing well. There's a couple of commercial knife manufacturers I can think of who were really enamored of the idea of multi-carry sheaths. Well, the result is if you've got a knife that can be this, that, and the other thing all at the same time, often it is bulkier and clunkier than it needs to be for any one application. Uh, say you want to carry a knife in your waistband. Sometimes you'll get a knife that has a sheath that's, it's a shoulder holster. It's a, it's a you know, horizontal carry. It's a leg holster. It's a this, it's a that. Well, by the time you get done, just carrying that knife in your waistband, it's big and clunky and ungainly. Not something you're going to want to carry. Other times, the sheath design is just terrible. And there's one or two knives I've owned over the years. I remember thinking, this sheath is a nightmare. Why would anyone do this? Oftentimes, that's an attempt by the manufacturer to cheap out. You know, uh, manufacturing a custom Kydex sheath for every knife is an expensive prospect. Manufacturing a sheath out of ABS plastic is much cheaper to do. It's much more easily molded. Um, so the, a lot of knife makers will cut corners on the sheath specifically because they're trying to get the unit cost down and increase the profit per knife. And I understand that. I don't fault them for that. But when you cut corners to the point that the sheath you're putting on your knife is just not that good, then we have a problem. So whether it's for quality reasons, because the sheath just isn't safe, or it's the design is ungainly, uh, it's clunky, you don't want to carry it, or sometimes the manufacturer just got too cheap for its own good. If you buy a good knife with a bad sheath, what you have is a bad knife. You need to always evaluate the carry system for any knife uh, that you buy, because only that will determine whether or not you can actually carry it and use it. Uh, you know, and, and most people, well, I shouldn't say most. A lot of us who are into knives own a lot of them. So sticking to just one knife day in and day out is difficult for us. But there are also people out there that buy one or two knives and they stick with one and they get really good. What's that saying about guns? Beware the man who owns only own, only one gun because chances are good that he knows how to use it. Well, the same is true of somebody who practices and carries one knife day in and day out for a good long while. Chances are pretty good that he knows what he's doing. 
Okay, coming up, we're going to talk about three more knife design fails, including one that you may not have considered. But first, please stay tuned for these special messages. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. All right, we're back. Uh, We talked about the knife design fail that is a poorly designed handle, a handle that hurts your hand over time. We also talked about the knife design fail that is bad sheaths. A knife with a bad sheath, no matter how good the knife is, is a bad knife. Now, we're going to talk about uh, three more knife design fails. Number three, I would consider inappropriate grinds. What do I mean by that? The, The edge on a knife can be ground on one side of the knife, or it can be ground on both sides. It can be ground in a curve, uh, either inward or outward, um, and the angle of the grind can be steeper or less steep. Uh, the, the edge grind makes a difference, even though a lot of us don't really think about them. Uh, a convex grind, like you'll find on some really nice knives, is one that is curved outward. It's sort of um, polished onto the blade. And while those can result in some really nice uh, grinds, they're hard to sharpen yourself. They're hard to put back on there. So a knife with a really complicated grind like that, or a knife that has a lot of angles and a lot of different grinds that come together, sharpening those can be a real pain. You need to consider when you buy the knife, will I be able to keep it sharp or will I throw up my hands and just surrender when the knife is dull and just you know put it in the the box or drawer of ill repute where my other knives and holsters go that I don't use. You know, what's the point of buying an expensive knife with a really complicated grind if you're not going to use it once it goes dull? The other thing is uh, a knife with a concave grind, uh, you know, where it's curved inward. If I And I always mix up the definitions of convex and concave, but uh, that can result in an extremely sharp edge, but those sometimes can be, again, difficult to put back on the knife and also a little bit fragile, depending on the knife. Uh, most of us, when we sharpen a knife, when we put a sharpening stone on the edge of a knife, we put it at a specific angle. We're putting a, a just a, a flat angle on that. You know, it's, a, it's, it's not convex, it's not concave, it's just flat. And that's okay, as long as you don't make the angle so steep as to be really fragile or so... What's the opposite of steep? <laughs> so so shallow as to be kind of 
you know, easily blunted and then not very effective. It's a fine line, and I've always found knife sharpening to be more art than science. The single biggest thing to look out for, though, when you're evaluating a knife to buy is does it have an inappropriate chisel grind? Chisel grinds are the single biggest uh, offender when it comes to knife grinds because they're cheap. Uh, a chisel grind is where you, you grind an edge on one side of the knife, but the other side of the knife is flat, like a chisel. Now, these can be nice and sharp. They can be very effective. But if you put a chisel grind on a knife that it really demands to be sharpened on both sides, what you get is a knife that cuts weird and doesn't penetrate as well as it should. There's one commercial knife manufacturer who has some double-edged knives. They're great knives, but they only chisel grind the blades. A double-edged knife, especially one that has like a dagger tip to it, for that knife to be as sharp as it needs to be, it needs to be sharpened on both sides to create what looks like a diamond in cross-section. If you only sharpen a double-edged knife on one side of the blade, you get a knife that, if you were to just move it slowly through a piece of work, curves to one side. It just produces an edge that cuts weird, and because it is not uh, tapered on both sides, it doesn't penetrate as deeply as it could. Now, is that going to matter when you're sticking it in somebody who's trying to rape you or murder you? Probably not. But it does affect the performance of the knife overall. And from a day-to-day -day utility standpoint, uh, it is important. So it's something you need to consider. Like, what am I buying this knife for? Will the fact that it is inappropriately chiseled ground affect its performance to the degree that it would affect my use for it? Uh, where a chisel grind is appropriate are on knives like the Americanized Tanto knives that are basically sharpened pry bars. Um, they have two angles that meet at a sharp secondary tip. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a samurai sword that isn't as subtle. That's where that Americanized Tanto blade profile comes from. And it's, it's really its own category. So one of those with a chisel grind is not inappropriate, but it is something you need to consider. You know, what, what performance am I asking of this knife? And will the knife grind be inappropriate for that performance? All right, number four, I would, this is a little more abstract. Number four is solutions in search of problems. And in this category, I would put any gimmick knife. There's a bunch of stuff on the market now. There's a knife that extends, it's sort of spring-loaded and, and concealed in the, the handle. The handle is the foregrip for uh, any rifle with rails on the front. So when you pop the knife free, the blade comes out. And, and so basically you're packing a concealed knife in the foregrip of your rifle. I That's a gimmick. I don't I don't believe that's something that was, nobody was like, gosh, if only I could carry a knife concealed in my gun itself. Uh, it's kind of like I've seen a stock that is a holster for a smaller gun. So you pop the gun out of the, the shoulder stock of the rifle. It's like, yo, dog, we heard you like guns. So we put a gun in your gun so you can shoot while you shoot. And if you understand that meme, you also know that it's woefully out of date. So I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself. But... <laughs> That I don't see a point to now. I'm not. I'm not dissing the product. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with it. I've never held it. I've never used it. I just at this point in my life, I don't see the need for a knife that comes out of the foregrip of my rifle. I kind of want to keep my knife and my gun separate. Um, now there are some sort of gimmick knives I do see the point of, like belt buckle knives, uh, especially where you don't have to take the whole belt buckle off. To, or what I should say is when you don't have to disengage the belt to get the, the blade out, um, there are some great belt buckle knives out there, and it's, and it's a great way to carry a knife that people won't really notice. Um, 
I have seen like paracord survival bracelets that have a little tiny knife blade in them. So you, you pull the knife blade out of the buckle and I, I don't see the point in that. That's again a solution in search of a problem in my mind. Um, but, you know, I guess if I needed a knife blade and all I was wearing was a paracord survival bracelet, I, I guess. I don't know. There just seems to me to be a whole lot of, of gimmick knives on the market that aren't really needed. Somebody identified a solution, you know, like a tiny bayonet for a pistol, and then went in search of a problem to solve. Like, have you ever thought to yourself, I need a bayonet for my pistol, and then you didn't have one? Like, I can fix that. And I, I've never personally had that problem, so I guess I don't see a point. Um, and what, what constitutes a gimmick knife is going to be different for everybody. But I really do think before you buy into one of those new gimmicky knives, ask yourself, is it really answering a need or is it a solution in search of a problem? All right. Uh, our fifth item, uh, our fifth knife design fail. And this is the thing that made me want to do this podcast. This is the thing that had me so angry while looking through that, that book of knives from the industry, uh, weird blade shapes, stuff that looks like it would be at home in a Klingon movie. I, I'm all, I'm going to nerd out for a minute here. I'm all excited about the premiere of Star Trek Picard. And I went and rewatched Star Trek Nemesis, which is the last movie that featured uh, the Picard character before they went to the new reboot J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. And if you don't like Star Trek movies, this means nothing to you, but trust me on this. Well, the, uh, the there are characters in that movie who are using a few of Gil Hibben's knives to represent alien knives. There's his double shadow, which is like a like a split blade dagger, and then there was one that I think it's called the Raptor. It may or may not have been designed specifically for Star Trek Nemesis, so it may not that may may, may not be the knife I'm thinking of. But I know that that Gil Hibben himself has done designs that showed up in Star Trek movies specifically as Klingon knives because they look so outlandish. They are so weird and alien looking. You may not know this, but knife designer and knife maker Gil Hibben, one of the things he makes custom for people are these giant elaborate fantasy gauntlets with all kinds of weird blades coming up off them. They're not really intended to be used in any way. They're what I would consider art knives. They look great. They represent a really amazing amount of talent to make them. But it's not a knife you would ever actually use for anything. It's not a functional knife because the shape is so weird. So I'm going through this book and I see all this stuff that looks like it would be right at home on the deck of a Klingon battleship. It's just so strange. And most of those blade shapes don't do anything. Occasionally you'll get a knife design that looks really weird. And the designer was like, well, it's got all these different angles and shapes because this part does this and that part does that. Uh, like for instance, the Tom Brown tracker knife, that knife is a weird looking knife. Theoretically, all of the different parts of that blade shape have a function. Um, and it's really a survival knife. It was never meant as a fighting knife. Uh, if you've seen that movie with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and, and Benicio del Toro, I think it is, um, uh, the hidden uh, or am I? The Hunted, not The Hidden, that's a different movie. <laughs> hunted, Hunted or The Hunted, which do not confuse that with the Christopher Lambert ninja film of the same name. <laughs> Boy, we're, we're deep in the, in the obscure movie weeds this week. But anyway, uh, that knife was sort of held up as the epitome of, of uh, combat knife fighting. It's really not intended for that. Um, I don't like any knife where I look at the blade shape and I go, why is that like that? I'm not saying that every knife shape has to look the same or that every knife blade has to be very simple aesthetically, but 
if the shape, if the angles, if the features on the blade serve no purpose, just like a weirdly shaped handle, then what you have is a knife that's not going to perform well. It's, it's trying to be something it's not. It's either a fantasy knife or it's trying to be multiple things. The result is a knife that just doesn't perform and also is probably really hard to maintain, really hard to sharpen. Some of these blade shapes are so weird that it's almost impossible to put them in a normal knife sheath. So the sheath ends up being weird too and it's got all these cutouts so you can fit it in there and strap it down. I just, I, I, I have to believe that form follows function. Any knife that performs well is not going to need that kind of weird fantasy exotic blade shape. And if it has that, that is an attempt by the manufacturer to sort of distinguish his knife from other knives on the market, to do something new. And I understand that. I understand why they would want to distinguish themselves from the competition. But different for the sake of different is not better when it comes to knives. That's something you've got to remember. So when you're out there shopping for a knife, whether it's for utility and survival, or it's for self-defense, or it's for all things, uh, remember, you want a handle with no hot spots. It should be comfortable. You want a good functional sheath that you will carry. You want an, a grind on the knife that is appropriate to the performance that you're going to ask of that knife. You want to make sure that your knife is not just a gimmick, that it actually serves a need. And you want to make sure that the blade is not really, really weird. <laughs> If you keep all these in mind, anything you buy is really just a matter of preference. I want you to be safe. I want your knife to serve you well. And that's why this important this topic is important to me. All right, that's going to about do it for this week's podcast. Until next time, prepare, train, and survive. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash modern combat and survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.